Hey, welcome today to the Revival Way podcast. I am your host, evangelist, Taylor Michael. Today we're going to pump you up full of the Word of God to get you delivered out of any work of the enemy and to get you empowered and activated to go out and build the kingdom of God with full faith and no hindrance in the mighty name of Jesus. Enjoy. But I want to make sure I get my little recording item going. How you feeling, Steve? Uh, about a month and a half ago, I was doing a TikTok live stream, and I try to do at least two every single day. And we'll get on a good day anywhere from ten to twelve thousand, or on a good live stream anywhere from ten to twelve thousand people that watch. On a slower live stream, three thousand, just depends on the day. But there was a woman in the comments as I was preaching. And I don't remember what I was covering, but she said, uh, Talon, she said, I don't remember what country they were in, but we're looking for a church. We have a group of people that are gathering and we're seeking the Lord and we're looking for a church. Would you prophesy? We need a building. And I had never done this before, but I felt in my spirit that I needed to prophesy and speak that building into existence. Uh, what translation do you have in your Bible, Pastor Jacob? NIV. Does anyone have an NKJV here? You do? Do you want to open up to Romans 4 and read verse 17 for us before I finish the story? As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God that what? God that gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. This is known as the gift of prophecy. A piece of it. It doesn't encompass the whole thing. But God is a God of faith. Faith calls those things which do not exist as though they were. That's what Pastor Jacob was just mentioning. What is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. They're not yet seen. You just can't see them. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says that we walk by faith and not by sight because we see with our spiritual eyes. The prophetic will allow this door to be open. So this woman said, would you prophesy for a building to come into our life? And I spoke and I said, in the name of Jesus, you will have a new building. You'll have a property and it'll be led with an anointed worship service and you will pack that building. And two months later, I received a screenshot, multiple pictures and a testimony from this woman. The Lord had blessed them with a brand new property, a brand new piece of land. And not only that, I had prayed fresh oil, fresh anointing on this building. She sent pictures of the mirrors in this building and the entire building was dripping with oil. And there was gold dust all over the building. And I have the pictures on my phone. The Lord had done what it is that I called into existence that I could not see. See, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, The power of death and life are in the tongue. The words that come out of your mouth will change the very reality of what people see. God spoke this universe into existence. He knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. And he already spoke your destiny into, into creation. 
So that is one aspect of what's possible by the Spirit of God. Now, this, isn't, this doesn't mean you can run around and just speak everything that you want into existence. This is something that must be Spirit-led. But the, the Lord led me to do this, and he answered it. If you were here for David Wagner, the, the prophet, he said, somebody's miracle is in your mouth. Somebody else's miracle is in your mouth, or, is, is in their, or your miracle is in somebody else's mouth. Miracles are in people's mouths. If you remember, what had, the reason why we're going over spiritual gifts is because revival comes by the power of God. If you remember, Paul said in, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I didn't come with the wise words of man, but I came with the demonstration of the Spirit of God and power. It's not wisdom. It's not theology. Even though theology is great, you want to study the Word of God. It's not some silly degree. It's not some abomination, I mean denomination. That's not what changes people's lives. It's the power of the Holy Ghost on an individual's life. What happened in Acts chapter 3 after the Holy Spirit descended on the upper room? If you remember, Peter and John walked past the gate called Beautiful, and there was a lame man begging there. And he said, give me silver, give me gold. What do you have? He's been there his whole life. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What did Peter have? The gifts of the Spirit, the power of God on his life. He knew it. There was something that Jesus had that came on my life that very moment in the upper room. That is what you're seeking for. Christianity, in my eyes, the way that I've experienced Christianity before I got born again and before I started walking in the miraculous versus now, Christianity without a miracle working God is not Christianity. When you serve a God with no power, that's not the God of the Bible. Pastor Jacob said, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Anyone that would draw near to God must first believe that he exists, that he's the God of the Bible, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So number one, you have to believe he's the God that split the Red Sea. He's the God that delivered the Israelites. He's the God that made water come from a rock. He's the God that made a pillar of fire lead these people, three million Israelites, through the desert for 40 years. He made manna fall from the sky. He's a God of miracles. When you get that into your heart and you know, whoa, if I'm not seeing miracles in my life, there's more. There's more. If I'm not seeing healings, deliverances, prophecies, miracles happening every single day, if you're not seeing that in your life, there's more. There's more. I yearn, I hunger, I thirst. I want you to write this down. Come on. That's an elephant from Africa. I want you to write this down on your notebook. The key to the power of God is hunger. If you get anything, get this. The key to the power of God is hunger in your life. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. This is a principle. This isn't, okay, only those that hunger after righteousness, that's all they get. No, it's a principle with God. When you learn the character of God, he'll show you his principles and his word. When you hunger and when you thirst after him with everything inside of you, reckless abandonment. He read from Hebrews 11, the hall of faith is what we call it. It lists basically two dozen people 
that they didn't care what the world said. They didn't care what they saw with their eye. They didn't care what their parents said. They didn't care what anything else in the world told them. They believed God, and that was it. And they walked in the miraculous. Every single one of them. In Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham was called by God. He was 70 years old, still living with his father. Thank God we're not like that. But 70-year-old, still living in his father's house. Didn't even hesitate. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham, I'm calling you. I will make you a mighty nation. His name was Abram at the time. I will make your descendants greater than that of the heavens. Greater than that of the sands on the seashores. This was impossible. You have to understand this. Sarai was her name before Sarah. She was barren. She couldn't have kids. They were, not only were they 70 years old, she was barren. It was impossible. But Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham didn't even consider it. When the word of the Lord came to him, he didn't care. He dropped everything, picked up, and left. And he read in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham went searching for a city whose creator and builder was God. Which means he wasn't looking for anything here. Abraham had his eyes so set on what God had in store, so set on heaven, that there was nothing in this world that would ever suffice. He knew there was so much to God that he would never have enough. And in Isaiah 51, it tells you to remember the rock from which you've been hewn. He said, remember when I called Abraham. He was one man when I called him. And when I finished with him, he was a mighty nation. God will turn a man into a nation, but only a man that's willing to yield to the power of God. See, you can't go four pages in this Bible without seeing a miracle. It's impossible. You can't go four pages without experiencing a miracle. So if you go four days in your life without experiencing a miracle, I wouldn't say there's a problem, but there's more. You could call it a problem. I, I'm so obsessed with the miracle working power of God. And it's not, I don't, I don't love God for his miracles, but I love his miracles. I heard a story the other night, my goodness, blew my mind. Talking about these African pastors that are being murdered by the dozens. By the dozens. Like, people don't understand the persecution that goes on around the world. There's, more, there's approximately 12 Christians that are murdered every day today for their faith. Approximately 12 every day. More than ever in history. And this, this young woman, this friend of ours, she was sharing this story about this pastor in Africa. They came up to his church, pulled him aside and said, denounce your faith or we're going to kill you in front of your family. He didn't denounce his faith. Boom! Shot him in the face. Blew his face apart. Like, to smithereens put a tarp over him. They took him to the mortuary to go bury him. And when they got there to go do the, uh, what's it called? The autopsy. They pulled the thing off of him. His face was completely healed and he was alive. God works miracles. This stuff happens every day. We just don't look for it in America. If you ask Stephen, he could go on for days and days and days and days about the miracles that happen in Africa because their eyes are set on the spirit. You have to remember, you're a spirit. You're spiritual whether you like it or not. You're spiritual whether you choose to yield to it or not. You're going you're gonna to live for eternity whether you want to or not. But the thing is, is American Christians sometimes struggle to get into the Spirit of God. But it's the greatest gift that you could ever have. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because the one I send is greater than I. And you'll do greater works than these. And when he's saying greater works, I don't know if anyone could work in the power more than Jesus did. But I'll give you an example. How many people did Jesus raise from the dead? I think three. If you count yourself. Smith Wigglesworth had 23 confirmed people raised from the dead. So that's a greater work. So that's what I'm getting to. 
we have more time because he said, you will do greater works than these because I must go to be with the Father. Now that's a whole other sermon. 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go over the spiritual gifts and I want you to take notes today because these are important. Not only are they important, they're dire to you being a Christian. If you want to walk in revival, does anyone know what revival is here? I know I preach on it a lot, but I've never asked you guys if you know what the heck it is. You know what revival looks like? What revival is? Have you done any research, Pastor Jacob, on revival? I guess I haven't, like, specifically, I don't know if I can give, like, a firm definition on it, but I know what it looks like. What, what, what would you say revival is based on what you experience with the Born Again event? Revival is uh, a community of people coming to learn more about Jesus but at the same time finding like re, the only way revival can happen is through the spirit of Jesus and because of that spirit when you come to when a revival happens it's when people are like letting go of their worldly bodies and they're just let they're letting go to God and when you let go to God revival happens and what that looks like when people come to him more and more and more than that fire, you know, explodes into others and, you know, it's hard to explain, but that's exactly like a restart. It's basically what it is. Like a restart. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, the biblical definition I suppose you could use, in Acts chapter 3, Peter calls it a time of refreshing. It's a time of refreshing by the Spirit of God. See, times of refreshing are much more common in the Bible than people think. When Nineveh was living in sin, what did God do? He sent a time of refreshing by the prophet Jonah. It looked a little bit different than I want our revivals to look. But it's a time of refreshing. It's a moment where God sends a prophet, sends his spirit, sends his power to flip a nation or the world upside down. But it only happens by the spirit of, by the spirit of God. So revival is mass groups of people repenting and turning back to Jesus. You can, I always say this. You can't revive what hasn't been vived before. So revival, oftentimes, almost every time, if not every time, starts in the church. Revival starts in the church. The same way that the Bible says that judgment must first start in the house of the Lord. God always starts with his kids. When people cry out to God. But here's the thing. I want you to understand this. Why revival is so important. None of you would be here if it wasn't for revival. I want you to get that right now. If revival hadn't touched my life, none of you would be in these seats. It's just the reality. If revival hadn't touched Mike DeYoung's life, I wouldn't be here right now. Revival is what got you here. Revival is what gets people into heaven. It's whether or not people live in revival and whether or not they choose to abide and walk in the spirit. But it's impossible to live in revival without the power of God, without the Spirit of God. So I want to go over the nine spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you a broad spectrum of what they are tonight. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll hit on them as the Lord leads me. But I want you to have a brief understanding of what it looks like to walk in the power of God. Because as we've gone over, according to Ephesians chapter 1, you've been given how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Jesus said in the book of John, all that my father has, he gives to me. And all that I have, I give to you by the spirit of God. So we have access to these gifts. It's just up to us to hunger for them and to want to move in them. 
How many of you would want to see a dead body raised? Be pretty cool, right? Heck, I want to pray for somebody and have their headache go away. Talk about a dead body being raised. So let's talk about this. And what's going to happen is, at the end of this, um, we're going to pray for impartation. So I'll lay hands on you guys. I've made a decision that every time we meet, or as often as I feel led, I'm going to lay hands on you guys. Because impartation is real. You have to remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Stir up the gift that's been put inside of you, Timothy, when I laid my hands on you. When, when men of God or women of God lay hands on individuals, what's on their life gets onto you. The Lord has given me the gift of healing. When I lay hands on people that need to be healed, God heals them. If you want that in your life, you can grab it tonight, but it'll only come by faith. If I throw a dart at a brick wall, it's not going to stick. But if you turn into a sponge tonight and I lay hands on you, you'll be able to pray for sick people and they're going to get healed. It'll happen. I've seen it happen time and time again. So 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul says this is something you need to know. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Say the same Spirit. These all are different gifts, but they come from the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it didn't say to some, it said to each. To each person that has the Spirit of God, it is given to them, manifesting through them for the common good. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. I want you to write this down now. I want you to put three different brackets, or you can section them in three different groups. And I'm going to tell you the three groups of gifts right now. This will help you to understand what they are. Number one, I want you to write the vocal gifts. These are the gifts that come by the Spirit of God, but are vocal gifts. Number one, prophecy. Number two, the gift of tongues. Number three, interpretation of tongues. And then the next group, the revelation gifts or the revelatory gifts. These are gifts of revelation that come by the mind. You must remember the Bible says you've been given the mind of Christ, so the Spirit of God will flow through your mind. What was the last one? The revelatory gifts, revelation gifts. And these are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Next are the power gifts. These are my favorite. Number one is faith. Number two is miracles. Number three is the gifts, multiple of healings. There's multiple gifts of healings, and I'll explain that in a moment. What was the second one? Working of miracles. 
So I'll give you a recap. Three groups. You can group them separately. You've got vocal gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And I'll give you examples of all of these and what they look like because they're amazing. Next, revelatory gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. And then three, the power gifts, which are faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healing. Let's keep reading. Now I want you to understand, in an atmosphere like this, when the anointing gets flowing, you're going to feel it. It's, I can feel it coming now. When there comes a time of ministering, the atmosphere will change and you'll feel it. When an atmosphere changes, what you experience is what we call an open heaven. Now the heavens never close, but there's, there's a moment where you get through and you can break through heaven and you can reach up and grab what you want. But it's accessed by faith. So when we get into that moment, any time that you're in a, an area where an anointing is flowing, what's available for you, you can grab by your faith. So as I continue to preach on this tonight, I want you in your heart to be speaking to God what you want in your life. If you want these gifts, earnestly desiring these gifts, it will change everything about the way that you move as a Christian. And it's available to you. So I want you to have that kind of expectancy. This isn't just me coming here to preach a silly sermon. I'm coming here to open a door for you to grab what you need from heaven tonight. So let's start at verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. So that's the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit, which is the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now let me explain this to you. Why do you think Paul had to come and explain this and give a lesson on this? Because the Corinthian church was flowing in the supernatural. The Corinthian church was already flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul was explaining to them that all of these gifts come from this Spirit. They were flowing so naturally in the spiritual realm that he had to explain to them, nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So he's explaining to them how to test the spirits. If you see a manifestation or a miracle or magic, because you have to remember in these times they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have distractions, they didn't have things going on like that. These people worked naturally supernatural. They knew that life was built around the supernatural. It's very much how the rest of the world is today. Still, if you go to Africa or third world countries, they're very spiritual. They understand spiritual things. So these people were already functioning in the spirit. So he laid it out for them. This is what it looks like when the spirit of God manifests. And he lays it out so that they can understand how to target them. Because there's a big difference with being a Christian and being a minister of the word of God between having a wildfire that just goes crazy, which is great sometimes, versus having a torch. You can't weld with a wildfire. It'll burn things up, might get a job done, but with a torch, when you can find it and you can, you can narrow in on something, for example, a spiritual gift or what an issue is, you'll know how to access it. For example, if somebody had a broken leg and I went up there and I said, let me see if I can get a word of wisdom for you. It's not gonna do them any good. 
Let me prophesy over you. It doesn't help them at all. But if I know how the spirit functions and I'm not just going out there trying to guess and hope that something happens, instead I can say, okay, the Lord's touched my life with the gift of healing. I've hungered, I've thirsted, I've earnestly desired the spiritual gifts and the Lord's blessed me with this. I can go up to somebody that's hurt and I can lay hands on them and expect them to get healed. So I'm going to give you examples of what it looks like with these different gifts and what they do, the impact that they have. The first one that's coming to my spirit right now is how many of you remember the story of the woman at the well? Do you remember what happened there? Jesus walks up to the woman at the well and she's walking pretty far from town to go get water to take back to town. And Jesus gets what we know as a word of knowledge. You can write this down. This is an example of a word of knowledge, woman at the well. This is what the spiritual gifts will do. Jesus receives a word of knowledge by the Holy Ghost to share with her, you're right, the man that you're with now is not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. That's a word of knowledge. When you get supernatural knowledge that God knows that you shouldn't know on your own. Jesus wasn't stalking this girl's Facebook. It's called a word of knowledge. And when he revealed that to her, what did she say? Surely you are the Christ. Wow. One of the first people to acknowledge he's the son of God because of a word of knowledge. Funny enough, that gift flows so easily even today. One of my first couple of weeks being a Christian, I, I, it was like so natural to me. I don't even know how it happened. I, I read this dude's mail. The Lord just started to tell me these things. And I was like, wow, this is what I feel. This is what I feel. And this kid like breaks down in front of me. And the Lord gave me all these words of knowledge about his life. And he gave his life to Jesus. It's nuts. It just came naturally. See, the thing is, I can't remember who quoted this. I think I stole it from Stephen. But, or somebody, I can't remember. Uh, we get so caught up looking for the spectacular that we skip over the supernatural. The reality is you were created to flow supernaturally. But the natural took over. That's what happened when Adam sinned. Adam was a naturally supernatural being. When he sinned, sin led to death. And natural took over. He stepped out of supernatural and into natural. But you were created to flow supernaturally. It's actually so easy for you to flow supernaturally that you, you almost run right over it. And you're like, what? It just takes some testing and some trial and error. And then you can grab onto it. So the woman at the well, this word of knowledge, when Jesus shared this word of knowledge with her, she went back and it said she told the whole town of the wonderful things that he had said to her. And did you know that historians have found out that that woman is the one who brought the gospel to the entire continent of Africa? She was one of the greatest evangelists that ever existed in history because of one word of knowledge. That's the power of God. That's a cool story. Next one, we'll do tongues. So the gift of tongues. There's four different realms of heavenly languages or tongues. I want you to grab this. There's two public and two private. This will come in handy anytime someone comes up to you and says, Yeah, but the gift of tongues have ceased. Or that's only for other languages. No, no, no. Let me prove you wrong. Gifts of tongues. Too public, too private. I'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
I'll start in verse 6. Actually, I'll start in verse 1. I'll just go through the whole thing. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. I want you to underline that or highlight it. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. That is one form of a tongue. For no one understands him. If he was speaking to men or in the language of a man, for example, if I spoke in an African dialect and that was the only form of tongue that there was, an African who spoke that dialect would understand what I'm saying, correct? But this one says, no man understands him. He speaks to God. He utters mysteries in the spirit. That is your prayer language. That's what you experience when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is your prayer language between you and God. On the other hand, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. When you speak in your prayer language to you and God, it's like your spirit man hitting the gym. When I started to experience supernatural difference in my life, the gift of preaching increased on my life. Miracles started to happen when I would preach. People would get delivered. People were getting born again. All of a sudden, I could just preach for hours and hours and hours and hours, almost like it was just easy for me. It started when I started my morning praying in tongues for an hour a day. When I first started praying in tongues, I'd be lucky if I could make it five minutes. And I just went after it. It was like hitting the gym. I just kept going for it. I was like, oh, all of a sudden it's 10 minutes. All of a sudden it's 15 minutes. Then it's 30 minutes. Then it's an hour. And I'm like, wow. And you just keep increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. And as you do, a man that prays in a tongue builds himself up. Your spirit man will increase. Suddenly you'll start hearing the voice of the Lord more. You'll be walking down the street and the Lord will say, go pray for that man. He's got to hurt back. I want to heal him. Or you'll walk into a building and the Lord will say, there's three people here that need to give their life to me. I want you to go speak to them. Or he'll say, this man has an alcohol problem and he doesn't know how to defeat it. I want you to go give him the answer. These things will start to happen because what you're doing is you're training your spirit more than your flesh. But a man that prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So what is he talking about here? It almost sounds like a contradiction, right? He just says, or he just said, if a man prays in tongues, he speaks only to God. But then he says, I would want you all to speak in tongues, and then for someone to interpret. This is another tongue. This is the other pri or public tongue. So there's two different forms of public tongues. Number one, the public tongue that we see in Acts chapter 2. That's when the Spirit of God descended on the upper room. And when that happened, what did they say? Surely we hear all of these Galileans speaking in our own language. Now they weren't speaking in their language, but they heard them in their language is what it said. Evangelistic tongue, right? That's one public tongue. That's for unbelievers to get them saved because they gave all their lives to Jesus. Number two public tongue is the interpretation. There has to come an interpretation. For example, I go to a church up in Sioux Falls, 
And once or twice a year, when you're up there, the Spirit of God will descend on a woman that has the gift of tongues. This is a tongue between God and the congregation. The Spirit of God will fill the room, and it's like electric in the atmosphere. Your hair on your arms will stand up, and you're like, whoa. And all of a sudden, she'll stand in the back like this, and she'll bellow out louder than anything you've ever heard. It's like this heavenly language. It's beautiful. And our pastor has the gift of interpretation. That's why Paul goes on to explain, if some whack job is running around going, and no one's there to interpret, they're probably a lunatic. People are going to think they're drunk. But this was actually orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And so the pastor will give the interpretation. Thus saith the Lord God, revival's hitting this church this year. There's been increase already. More increase is coming. People have been praying for the sick to be healed. I'm healing them this year, or whatever it is. And he'll get the interpretation. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It is so powerful, and it'll encourage the body of Christ like none other, just like Paul said. Then there's the private tongue between you and God, like I said, that builds you up. And yeah, that's it. Those are the four. Okay. You have a smartphone? Yeah. Download my podcast. Okay. It'll be on the podcast. Taylor and Michael, Revival Way. Okay, sounds good. All right, buddy. See you, Freddie. Tell your mom I say hello. Okay. So the four again? Yeah. Or what was the other private? There's one that builds language. Intercessory edification. So it's intercessory edification. What's the difference? Share what that is. Preach. I get what edification is. Uh, intercessory would be praying for someone else. So you pray in tongues, and that language is actually praying for someone maybe across the world. Yes. So you'll notice there's an intercessor tongue that comes on you sometimes when you're praying. Greg gets this a lot, Greg Scott. So it's, it's, they're one and the same. The one that builds you up is the same prayer language that the Lord will use for you to pray for somebody else through. So all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord will fall on Greg, and he'll just like go after it. And he'll just start praying in tongues like crazy. And it's like this electricity just hits him. And then the Lord sometimes will show, to, show him who he's praying for. I've had this a couple times in my life. For example, our buddy DJ, he's our videographer, does all of our camera work. He was the only one on our team for the longest time that didn't pray in tongues. He wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost yet. And so he was like constantly bucking what we did. He would go with us, and he loved it. He was supportive, but he like still had this religious mindset going on, and it just caused a lot of tension. And we didn't know it, but he had actually been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hadn't received it yet. I woke up at like 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning, something like that. And the Lord said, I want you to pray in tongues. And I was like, okay. And it, it hasn't happened to me often, but I started going for it. I started praying in tongues. It was like the day before my buddy's wedding or the day of my buddy's wedding. So I didn't want to wake up that early. And I was the best man in the wedding. And so I'm at his, uh, his wife's, his in-law's house. And I'm there and I'm just praying in tongues. Blah, 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 blah. Josh, my roommate, had been woken up at the same exact time and the Lord told him to pray in tongues. And so he was in the shower getting ready to drive to the wedding and he's praying in tongues and this spirit of intercession just comes on and he starts praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, as they're driving to the wedding a few hours later, DJ sends this audio message. And he's like, hey, I was in the shower today and I was just washing and all of a sudden I just started praying in tongues and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we didn't know until that moment, but that's why the Lord was having us pray. It was an intercessory tongue. He knew the desire of DJ's heart, that DJ actually wanted it, but he needed people to intercede for him. So he fell on us, 
probably because Cade wouldn't wake up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he, he fell on us to pray for DJ. And so we did. And the Lord answered the prayer. So that's what an intercessory tongue would look like. I'll share another evangelistic tongue with you. Have I ever shared the story of uh, in Russia? Yeah. yeah. I shared that one? You share. I've got a lot. You don't think you've heard the Russian one? Well, I'll share it for Eli. It's a good reminder. I don't think Pastor Jacob's heard this one either, so this would be fun. So there's this guy named Jack Hill. He was a revivalist uh, right after the USSR had fallen. And so all of these evangelists, all these men of God said, the moment that communist Russia falls, we need to get the gospel in there. Because I need you, this is, this is important for you to understand, because this is what's literally coming on our nation right now if people don't wake up. The same spirit that tells people that it's manly for a man to wear a dress is the same spirit that's attempting to take over this nation. All this stuff goes with the same spirit. The same spirit that says that homosexuality is cool, that having sex before marriage is cool, that men in dresses is cool, that socialism is cool. It all runs in the same spirit. It's called the Antichrist spirit. That's literally what it is. It's the Antichrist spirit pushing an agenda to move the Antichrist into his position. It's going to happen. No matter what, it's prophesied. The word of God has gone forth. The Antichrist will sit in that throne one day, and he'll be struck down by God. But the longer that we can push that off and get people born again, the better. But I want you to understand this. So the USSR was so intense on the word of God, any nation that wants to take over their people, the first book they get rid of is the Bible. Because the Bible teaches people how to be independent. It teaches people not to rely on groups, not to rely on governments, not to rely on individuals, but to be independent and rely solely on God. So they got rid of the Bible completely. So when the USSR, I'll show you the story of this little girl. Uh, there was this, this person that grew up in Soviet Russia before it had fallen, and they went to school there. And they used to have the military come into the school and train them on how to treat the Bible. And every morning when they would walk into school, they'd have one Bible and the military would stand there with guns and they'd put the Bible on the floor and these little eight-year-old kids, nine-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids as they would walk into class were required to spit on the Bible as they walked into class. This is, the kind of, this is literally what's coming to America. I want you to understand this. When BLM and Antifa was going crazy, did you see what was happening in the streets of Portland? By the thousands, people were burning Bibles. This is literally the same spirit that's coming out of America. But revival's going to hit and knock it out of here. So they were required to spit on these Bibles as they would walk into class. And this little girl was raised a Christian. And as she's walking in for the first day of school, she wouldn't spit on the Bible. And there's spit all over the Bible. She picks up the Bible and she kisses it and puts it back on the floor. And they put a gun to the back of her head and blew her brains out right in front of the rest of the class. So that's the kind of stuff that happened in this nation. You gotta remember, Stalin killed 20 million people. 20 million Jews, God's people. You ever wonder why the Jews are always the ones that are chosen to be murdered by the mass millions? Because they're God's people. Guess who's been grafted into the vine? Us. That's why Christians are killed by the masses these days. So USSR had just fallen. And Jack kills him, they're preaching. And he's got this interpreter because he doesn't know Russian. And as he's preaching, these Russian people are just sitting there much like your modern-day Reformed church. Just sitting there. 
and he's preaching and preaching. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. God has a plan for your life. He feels the anointing all over it, but nothing's happening. And what he didn't know was they had been trained from very young age to trade the name Jesus and God for communism. So they had trained them from a young age to place Jesus and God and anything that resembled that with the word communism. So she was interpreting communism loves you. Communism has great plans for your life. Communism will change your destiny. And that's how she's interpreting this preacher. And so they're just sitting there. And suddenly he gets this prompting in his spirit, an unction, to start preaching in tongues. He's like, what the heck? Okay. And so he just starts going for it. He just starts preaching in tongues. And suddenly this interpreter gets like really frustrated and she leaves. And when she leaves, she doesn't come back. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes of him preaching in tongues, I don't even think it was 10 minutes, he starts sharing in tongues and these people begin to weep. And they just broke down. And within 10 minutes, they were on their feet, running to the altar with their arms up, giving their lives to Jesus. And he said, "What? I don't speak Russian. How am I supposed to lead these people to Jesus? And so he runs to get the interpreter to come back. And he says, hey, I don't speak Russian. I need you to get back in here. And she says, you just spoke perfect Russian. You said, sit down and shut up. I'll do the talking. That is an evangelistic tone. Funny enough, God does say sit down and shut up sometimes. Kind of like I said, sit down, shut up, put your mask on. <laughs> Anytime someone makes you mad, say that to him. Shut down, shut up. Shut down, shut up. Put your mask on. That's fine. Yeah. So that's an evangelistic tone. All those people got saved. Cool thing about the word of God. If you remember in John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Back when the Berlin Wall was separating in Germany, and they still had insane Nazi stuff going on, Kenneth Hagin was alive, and he wrote this book called The Authority of the Believer. And it goes through all the scriptures that explain to you the authority that you have in Jesus Christ now. That being a son of God, we've gone over this before, that you are God's kid. You carry the same authority that's been given to Jesus on this earth. It's been delegated to you. And so he knew if I could get that book into that nation, that wall would come down. And so they started smuggling the authority of the believer into Germany. And as they started to smuggle it in, less than 10 years later, the Berlin Wall came down. Because when you remind Christians who they are in Christ, they're unstoppable. Christians are unstoppable. Revival built America. Revival built this planet. The greatest inventions, look at Chick-fil-A, man. Like, that's Christian. My pillow, how would you sleep? Right? The my pillow guy, anointed. Is he really? Yeah, he's a Christian. Dude, he's like an on fire Holy Ghost Christian, too. Dude loves the Lord. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch that commercial, I think, man, that guy would be the best grandpa Just <laughs> Give you a ton of pillows. So, we've got over, uh, <laughs> what do we do, just tongues so far? Tongues and knowledge. Word of knowledge, gotcha. Let's do a word of wisdom. Any prophecy spoken through a prophet in the Old Testament is a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is always future tense. Word of knowledge has to do with the right now. It gives you knowledge from God for an issue that needs to be addressed happenstance at that moment. Word of wisdom has to do with somebody's future. Maybe a vision, the rapture, 
when John was called hither, he was shown what was to come. That's a word of wisdom. When prophets would prophesy about the Messiah, you read through the book of Psalms, Psalm after Psalm after Psalm. David's given these words of wisdom where he prophesies about Jesus' life. Over 300 prophecies given about Jesus' life, and all of them being fulfilled in his lifetime. These are words of wisdom. These are, this is probably, arguably, the most powerful gift of them all. Uh, I haven't heard, there are some, I won't get too into it, but there are some, like, current situations where I've heard of people operating in this, and it's amazing. It's not always good. But, for example, the word of wisdom came to Lester Summerall back in the 70s, I believe. And you can find it on YouTube. He gave seven words of wisdom that were given to him by the Lord as to what was going to be the downfall of America. And at the time, it seemed insane. This was back in the 70s, where, like, they would basically kill you if you, were, if you had homosexual attributes, if you were attracted to the same sex. And all of this crazy stuff. Because this was right after the healing revivals, great moves of God. And he prophesied by the word of wisdom that gay pride parades would be running rampant through our streets. This was in the 70s. This is like, there's no way. People are like, you're insane. He started to uh, prophesy about women rising up to take over America. Transgenderism. All of these things that seemed impossible in the 70s, he prophesied way back then when the Lord gave him these words of wisdom. The Lord will do it. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves this nation. God loves anything that's built upon him and upon his word. He'll do whatever it takes to warn his people. He always warns his people before something crazy happens. So that's the word of wisdom. Gift of faith. The gift of faith is one of my favorites. If not my favorite. Probably has to do with my evangelistic call. But the gift of faith is unbelievable. It will move mountains. Pastor Jacob mentioned, yeah, right? Uh, even a Muslim. Pastor Jacob had mentioned Moses. That was the gift of faith that split the Red Sea. The gift of faith carries unbelievable power. The gift of faith is what multiplied the fish and the bread. The gift of faith is what caused Elijah to call down fire from heaven. These are all the gift of faith. The gift of faith will literally allow you to move mountains. I'll share a story of the gift of faith. There was this guy by the name of Bensonita Hosa, and he turned the entire nation of Nigeria on its head. It used to be 100% witchcraft-based. They didn't allow Christians in it. Muslim, they'd kill Christians just like they're starting to step back into now. And this man single-handedly went in and flipped this nation upside down because he knew who he was in Christ. There was, I'll, I'll show two stories. There was one time, kind of like the prophets of Baal, when the 50 prophets of Baal came and tested Elijah, he just laughed. And he watched them as they cut themselves and they danced around this tree looking like morons, trying to get their God to answer by fire. But their God didn't answer by fire. No such thing as a pagan God. Benson Hosa had a very similar run-in with a group of witch doctors. And he said they were trying to kill him, and they were trying to kick him out of their nation. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll sit right here for the next two hours. I don't even think he stayed there. He said, I'll come back in two hours. You pray, you worship your God, you cut yourself, you put your spells together, do whatever you, you witches do. 
I'll come back in two hours, and if you can't kill me, I will kill you by the Spirit of God. And if you don't think that's biblical, go talk to Ananias and Sapphira. It's very biblical. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, I will not suffer a witch to live. The reality is, is that there's wolves, there's sheep, and there's wolves in sheep's clothing. Not everybody is a sheep. Two-thirds of those are enemies of God. You can't turn a wolf into a sheep, so I want you to remember that. So, he comes back two hours later, and these witches, which are enemies of God, stand before him. And he says, what have you conjured up? What did you figure out? And... <laughs> they just said nothing, and they stood there doing their witch stuff, trying to cast spells on him, and he just laughed at them. And he said, my God answers by fire. And no joke, this was back in probably the 80s, 70s or 80s. They were standing around this sacred witchcraft tree. It was like this oak tree, ancient oak tree, that witchcraft had been done around for generations. It was a sacred monument for witch doctors. And all of a sudden, he called down fire from heaven, just like the prophet Elijah did. This stuff still happens today. That's the gift of faith. And this fire came down and consumed this oak tree that these witch doctors have been practicing around. They all bowed down and gave their life to Jesus. We serve a God of miracles. He still answers by fire. He still does this stuff today. It's prevalent. It happens. And not only that, it happens more now than it did back in the Bible. People just don't talk about it doesn't hit the front page of the news, but God's a God of increase. He didn't say, be fruitful and have abortions. Be fruitful and don't have kids. Don't be fruitful. Don't multiply. That's not what he said. He said, be fruitful and multiply. God is a fruitful God of multiplication. What he does, he only increases. He never holds back. God does not know how to go backwards. He only goes forward. Lester Summerall used to say, no, I'm sorry, Reinhard Bunk used to say, God goes with the goers. He's only a God of going. He's not a God of sitting. He's a God of going. So that's the gift of faith. The working of miracles. Now this one is powerful as well. Now there's three separate types of anointings. I'll share these with you. I don't have time to get into all of them, but I want you to understand that there's levels of authority. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with me, because I want to explain this to you. Otherwise you'll think that everyone's like, the same and it's not true. Huh? We're not all as cool as you. No, we're not all as cool as Pastor D. <laughs> Appreciate it. Amen. So there's a very real thing in the kingdom of God called promotion. I've gone over this with you guys a few times. God will promote you, especially as a man of God. But you have to be faithful with the little. Remember, Jesus said those who are faithful with the little will be given much. But those who aren't even faithful with the little, what little they have will be taken from them. So as you're faithful with the little, as you're faithful with the youth, God will give you college. As you're faithful with the college, God will give you adults. As you're faithful with the adults and you go to those who nobody wants, God will give you who everybody wants. That's how God works. When you're faithful with your parents, when you're faithful with your sister. When you're faithful with the people that you're intimate with, just the people around you. For example, my own life. When I got born again, I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know about any of it. All I knew was I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and everybody needed to know him the way I did. That's all I knew. I'd go to the gym, I'd be pumping iron, and any person that walked in that gym got an invitation to church. It didn't matter who you were. If you walked into that and I hadn't talked to you before, I went up to you and I said, hey, what's your name? 
cool, my name's Taylor. Hey, you're a Christian, right? You go to Dort? Yeah, bro, I'm a Christian. Cool, I saw you at that party last weekend. You want to go to church with me? Every person that I could talk to, boom, I was just faithful. Faithful in the gym, faithful with my roommate, faithful with my friend group. There was one time I was sitting, I, we would stay up, me, Steve, and Cade, we'd stay up till two in the morning sometimes, praying in tongues, worshiping God, serving the Lord, reading our Bibles. We were so zealous. And across the hall one night, there was a party going on. And I walked in there and I ruined the whole party. I went and just shared my testimony, ruined the whole party. Everyone puts their beard on, what the heck, bro? And like when you're faithful in these little areas, I'm serious. Be faithful with the little. People see me and they see 1.6 million on TikTok. But you have to understand that's not how it goes. People see me and they say, oh, cool, he's preaching at an outdoor event. He's preaching at a church. He helps start this. He helps start that, whatever it is. They don't see the behind the scenes. They don't see the fact that I've been in a basement for two years of my life praying and fasting. They don't see that I locked myself in my apartment for 90 days straight and didn't leave and read my Bible and spent time with Holy Spirit. People don't see those things, but when you're faithful in those little things, you will be promoted in your life. No matter what it is, God promotes you. Man does not promote you. God opens doors for you, and he will. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, referring to Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What does it mean for someone to be anointed beyond their companions? Obviously, they're anointed more than their companions. There is a place and a time and a promotion in your spiritual walk where God will anoint you more than the people that you're around, and you will excel greatly. For some reason, most Christians are content with being saved. That's it. I'm going to heaven. It's all I want. I'll spend time getting to know God. And that's great. And no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. We're going to see him in heaven one day. Me? Uh-uh. I'll be in heaven. But I'll also be top-heavy with my six crowns on my head. Rolling around with robes of righteousness. And every award that I can possibly get. My goal, I have a goal. 200 million souls before I die. And I'm going to get it, if not more. 200 million, so I will lead 200 million people to a relationship with Jesus Christ before I die. Mark my words. Prophesy. There's people that want a little bit, and there's people that don't want any at all. You can have as much of God's oil, of his anointing, as you want. Jesus was anointed more than his companions because he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. There's levels to the anointing. Now, I cover that because I want to share with you miracles. Miracles, faith, power. The power gifts, they come with increased trust. I'll just put it that way. God has to trust you before he can give you power. Because this power is literally deadly, and I'll share with you some stories. So the working of miracles. For example, there was a crusade back in the day. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Maybe it was a William Branham crusade. can't remember. It was a healing crusade. Maybe Oral Roberts. I can't remember. Back in the day. And uh, this man had been in war or something, had an accident, and his legs were amputated. And this is the difference. You can write this down. The difference between healings and miracles, miracles are creative. Healings are restorative. For example... If you have bad eyesight, but you can still see, I can lay hands on you, and the Lord will restore your sight. That's the gift of healing. If you're 100% blind, the Lord will give you new eyes. That's a miracle. 
That's the difference. So at this crusade, this guy rolls up in a wheelchair, not expecting anything powerful or whatever. He's been prayed for. I mean, but no one expects that their legs are going to grow back if your legs have been amputated. So he was just there to experience the power of God. And he gets there, and, and the man ministering, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth, I think he goes up and he says, uh, go try shoes on. And the dude just looks at him like, I've got nubs, bro. <laughs> you want me to go put shoes? I've got the nubs. <laughs> and he says, he spoke in a British accent, what's up? Go put shoes on. That's how he talked, and then he'd move on to the next person. And he said, okay. Goes home that night, and he can't sleep. Couldn't sleep all night. This word was stirring in him. Go try shoes on. He's like, well, you know what? Maybe it'll build my faith or whatever. I don't know what the Lord's doing. I'll go to the store tomorrow and I'll try shoes on. And so he goes to this Nike outlet. This is right when Nike was launching, which is super good. He goes to this Nike outlet. And when he gets to the outlet, <laughs> obviously he rolls into a shoe store in a wheelchair. <laughs> and the dude looks at him like, what are you doing here, bro? And he says, uh, I'll try a size 8. <laughs> so this guy, like, just dumbfounded. What? He says, I'll try a size 8. So he goes in the back and he gets in and he says, what color? It's black. I like black. Comes back with these size 8 brand new black shoes. And just kind of hands him the box, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with these? And the dude just opens the box, looks at him, he's like, this is amazing. And he takes one and he puts it on the nub. And the moment that he puts it on the nub, his leg grows back right in front of the guy. And he's like, and he puts the other one on, the other leg grows back right in front of the guy. And the dude walks out of the store. That is a creative miracle. I'll give you another one. Bensonita Hosa, that guy I was telling you about in Nigeria, he was building an orphanage or a church or a, it was something for kids or something. But it was millions of dollars of metal and materials on this construction site, and they ran out. And so they run. He runs up and he sees that they've only got like a couple, maybe like 20 steel beams left. They don't have enough to finish the project. And they call him and say, "Hey, what are we supposed to do? I mean, we, they, they can't make any of this stuff. It's going to be like at least a year before we can get more material to finish the building." And he said, "Multiply in Jesus' name." And they went. Boop, boop, boop. And millions of dollars of material multiplied before their eyes. These are all eyewitness accounts. According to the Bible, something witnessed by two people is confirmed to truth. So according to the Bible, these people that witness these things, they're telling the truth. They're not lying about this stuff. God still does this stuff today. There was a guy by the name of William Branham, had one of the most powerfully anointed creative miracle uh, ministries in the world. Just unbelievable. And this is, this is why I'm telling you that with great power comes great responsibility. It's very true with the Bible. Because I'm not talking about your spidey senses here. I'm talking about like life and death stuff. God takes this very seriously. There's an anointing that can come on a man's life like you saw in Peter when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Where God will trust you with so much of his power that he'll put people's life and death in your hands. It's a very real thing. This man, William Branham, he used to get such powerful. This was back before cell phones and everything. This was back in like the 40s. Way back when. 
black and white we talk and he would get such unbelievable words of knowledge this guy would look at you never met you before he'd say your name is Solomon you live at so-and-so street in this state this is your social security number this is your credit card number this is what you ate for dinner last night and he would the Lord would show him every detail about your life before them it was unbelievable. He had an angel appear to him, and he said, the same way that Moses had confirmation in his body whenever he would work miracles, so will you. And he told him what the confirmation in his body would be whenever somebody were to be healed. And he said, you'll be a healer of cancer. Because cancer pandemic was coming on America, and God sent an answer for it. And so this man, the FBI would come to his meetings because they couldn't believe how he knew all of this stuff. They thought that he had some foreign technology that he could spy on people's homes and he could get this information from them. So they would come to his meetings and they would try to spy on him. And he would call them out by name. And he'd say, you're so-and-so. You came from the FBI to spy on me. This is the power of God and they give their life to Jesus. And so one time, there was a man, a reporter, who didn't believe in miracles. He was an atheist. He's trying to prove the power of God wrong. And he comes to this meeting and he puts on these big black glasses and carries this cane pretending to be blind. And he's waiting in the healing line and he's like pretending to be blind and he knows he's going to go up there, and William Branham's going to say, Be healed in Jesus' name. And he's going to take his glasses off and say, You're a fraud. And he's going to catch him in front of thousands of people. And so he's got these glasses on, and he walks up, and he's about third person in line. And William Branham steps to the side and he says, You, with the glasses, you came here to mock the Holy Spirit. And the very thing that you came here pretending to have comes upon you now in the name of Jesus. And the man fell to the floor, and he got struck blind in the middle of the meeting. And people had to lead him out. That's the kind of power that will come on an individual when God trusts them. And it's not to be abused, but God, God, God's not all what you might think he is. He's still the God of the Old Testament. Amen. He still whoops butt. He does. There was another story with William Branham. A man came pretending to have cancer. There was another reporter. And he stood in the line, in the healing line. And he got up to William Branham, and William Branham was like looking at him. He'd have to look at somebody and then the Lord would show what was wrong in their body. And he's looking at him. He says, sir, you're, you're perfectly healthy. And he says, no, 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 I have cancer. And he said, sir, you've come to mock the Holy Spirit. Because you've come to mock the Spirit of grace, you'll die of that very disease right now. And cancer hit this man and by the end of the meeting he had dropped dead. It's real. This stuff happens. That is the power of miracles. So they're very creative, and they can also be very destructive. Gifts of healings. Now this one is a bit tricky. Because there's multiple gifts of healings. Like you see, it says gifts of healings. It doesn't say the gift of healing. It says gifts of healings. Now you'll notice as you do research and you search around and you start ministering in bigger groups... There are certain individuals that are anointed in different areas to heal. Typically, it's evangelists. If you remember in Acts chapter 8, that's what happened with Philip the evangelist. He was sent to Samaria. When he went to Samaria, they believed on him after he preached Christ unto them because of the great signs and wonders that he had done. And many were healed and came to know the Lord. So evangelists typically carry a healing anointing because word of knowledge, healing anointing, Miracles, gift of faith. These power miracles is what prove the power of God. Remember, what I've always told you, this book isn't, it's not written on faith. This book's written on fact. Everything in this book happened. 
It's real. It's the most authoritative, documented book in the world. It's not written on faith. It's believed by faith. It's written on fact. It's accessed by faith. The beautiful thing about faith is that you can take something that you can't see and bring it into what you can see simply by believing on the Word of God. So the gifts of healing. For example, this guy named Charles, he came to the Born Again event. He was there the first night. Black man from Kenya. And uh, he's been anointed in the gift of healing, or at least he was. It's increased now. It's been unbelievable. But he's gifted with deaf ears. He is the gift of healing for deaf ears. So when people come up to receive healing in their ears, it's almost guaranteed every time people will get healed with their deaf ears. I've only prayed for one person with a deaf ear, and he, he got healed, but I wasn't the only one that prayed, so I don't know if I could take credit for it. I've prayed for other people with certain things, and they didn't get healed. But yet, I've prayed for other people with certain things, and they do get healed. For example, when it comes to joints, legs, limbs, whenever I pray for somebody with an ACL, a broken limb, they get healed every single time. For example, if you guys were here for Carry the Love, that dude came in on crutches. He had just broken his entire ankle. He had like steel plates put in it and everything. Had a boot on, walked in, walked out without the boot, without the crutches, totally fine. Haas, the first time Haas came, he walked in with a broken ankle, walked out, totally healed. Let me pray for him. There was a woman named uh, Linda. Linda had had severe hip damage and damage in her left hip, right knee, I believe. And she had these two little steps about this high to get into her house. And she'd have to lean on the guardrail and pull herself up by her left leg just to walk into her house. She came to the Born Again event. I laid hands on her in the name of Jesus, and the Lord healed her. And she didn't even realize it until the next day, but she had gotten home, and she walked right into her house, perfectly healed, perfectly fine. To this day, no pain in her knee, no pain in her head, totally healed. And that's what I've noticed in my own. I found my niche, and obviously I'm looking to increase and expand, but that's a gift of healing. You'll notice that certain people are gifted in certain areas. Amy Simple McPherson, amazing woman of God. She started the Foursquare Denomination. She was one of the first people to do tent revivals, unbelievable tent revivals. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come to watch this woman. Are you leaving? Yeah. Love you, buddy. See ya. What time is it? 9.15. 9.15? All right. I'll, I'll finish up. And then I'll answer questions. Gifts of healing. Amy Simple McPherson, they used to come to her events, and they would lay out stretchers and they'd have like cancer men. <clears throat> and they'd come by the thousands and people would roll people out of the hospitals that were about to die. And they just, thousands and thousands of people, they'd have stretcher men. And she'd lay hands on people with stretchers, boop, 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 and they'd get up out of the stretchers, one after another. Doop, 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 doop. Los Angeles is where her church was. It was unbelievable. John G. Lake, oh, this is amazing. John G. Lake grew up, uh, I think John G. Lake was a Methodist. John G. Lake grew up Methodist. Uh, the Methodist movement was birthed by John Wesley, an amazing man of God, revivalist. John G. Lake grew up in the Methodist denomination. This was right when revival was kind of dying out in the denomination. They didn't really believe in the gifts anymore. They were kind of walking away from it. It's typically what happens in denominations. It sounds like now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it, like it happens. It sounds like the RCA. It sounds, yeah. It sounds like every church, every denomination is birthed out of a Holy Ghost move of revival but they die out and they walk away. They step into religion. They stop moving and flowing in the power of God. They stop getting new wine. They stop staying fresh. And his wife ends up going to an Alexander Dowie meeting. Alexander Dowie had one of the most unbelievably anointed ministries of all time. This man 
every service, sometimes they'd have like six services a day at his church, and they'd pack them out, 2,500, 3,000 people, six services a day, and they'd have to go buy tarps that were 100 feet long, and they'd lay them out before every service at the altar, and people by the hundreds would come up, and he would lay hands on people, and tumors would fall off of their bodies, and illnesses and sickness and diseases, they'd get delivered, they'd cough up cancer out of their body, and he'd pray for them and lay hands on them. They'd roll up the tarp, they'd take it in the back, and they'd burn it. Six times a day. Yeah. So that's the kind of anointing this man carried. He built, you guys know what Zion, Illinois is? The city of Zion, Illinois, so just outside of Chicago? He literally built that city. He built the city. That's what we're talking about when God says, I'll turn a man into a mighty nation. You can build a city. It's amazing. Anyway, John G. Lake's wife goes and gets touched at one of this man's revival meetings. Read left. I feel the power of God coming in here tonight. You missed it. Yeah. And uh, this is good. It's funny about the anointing. Like I always, I always say this, but it's just good to say it again. It's like a faucet. When the power of God starts to flow, you get to taste it first. So I know when the Lord's about to touch you guys because I get to taste it first, which is good. I just have to finish preaching. That's the tough part. But anyway. John G. Lake's wife goes to an Alexander Dowie meeting. And when Alexander Dowie was praying for her, she gets healed. And so they leave the Methodist denomination, and they get plugged into his church, and he gets raised underneath Alexander Dowie. John G. Lake had one of the most powerful healing ministries of all time, over 150,000 documented cases of people being healed. Documented meaning they went to their doctor, the doctor signed off and said, yep, that's a healing, that's a miracle. That couldn't be done by modern medicine. Only God could do that. Over 150,000 in his ministry. He, he went, uh, what was the city in Washington? Something, it wasn't Seattle. Like Seaside, Washington or something like that. He goes up to this city in Washington and he went into a hospital and spent all day laying hands on every individual and cleared out the whole hospital. The town that he lived in was proclaimed the healthiest town in all of America. All the doctors, all the nurses, they all left because everybody was healed in that town because his ministry, the anointing. That's, that's literally what it means when God, when Jesus said, pray, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, let your will be done. That's bringing heaven to earth. That's what God actually wants on earth. And so anyway, John G. Lake goes to South Africa when the bubonic plague is tearing it up. This is back in early 1900s. And so when he goes into South Africa, the bubonic plague is killing people. Young, well, you thought COVID was bad. COVID is such weak sauce compared to 99% of viruses and stuff out there. Ask Stephen. He's had malaria like six times. It's true. COVID is like, it's weak sauce compared to most of the stuff out there. The bubonic plague was killing six-year-olds, killing 60-year-olds, killing 16-year-olds. The average death rate of COVID is 70. And underlying health conditions play a large part. So COVID is nothing. He goes in there with the bubonic plague. They're all in hazmat suits. People are like holding back. They're like, what are you doing? He's got no suit on, no nothing. He's going in, laying hands on people. Bah, 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 bah. They're just getting healed. Boop, 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 boop. Walking up in Jesus' name. And he walks into this tent and they're like, dude, what are you doing in here? And there's all these dead bodies. And the foam that would come on people's mouths from the bubonic plague before they would die still held the disease. Bubonic plague bodies, if you remember, from uh, back in like history class and stuff, they'd have to burn the bodies because the bodies were still contagious after they would die. The bubonic plague would live in the dead bodies. So he would walk into these tents full of dead bodies, probably going to raise them back from the dead. I didn't even think about that. That's cool. 
And you walk in and these people would be like, dude, what are you doing in here? You're going to catch the bubonic plague. No, I'm not. And he said, watch, put the foam on my hand. And they would scrape the foam off of the mouth of people and put it on his hand. He said, look at, look at it under a microscope. And when they look under the microscope, all the bubonic plague cells would die in his hand. That's what it means to live in the secret place. <laughs> Seriously, then the power of God is on it. He was so utterly convinced, uh-uh, not going to happen. Just amazing. That's the power of God. Gifts of healing. Gifts of healing also include the gift of divine health. Now, this isn't a gift. It's actually inheritance. All of this is your inheritance. But divine health is what he experienced with that. Psalm 91 is all about divine health. You know Arlene Skyman? Yes. Yeah, I think. Doesn't she live with that? She's like 96 and she is like in incredible shape. Probably. Like I'm pretty sure that lady can run here. She might, yeah. I don't, is she like Holy Ghost? Yeah, dude. Oh, there you go. You need to talk to her sometimes. Is she the one that's always on the bike? No, that's, that's Lauren. She's me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, good. Yeah, I should, I should speak with Arlene. Yeah, sometime. you got to talk to Greg, too. I will. So, divine health is what Psalm 91 is all about. It says, no pestilence will come near your dwelling. A pestilence is an incurable sickness or disease. It says, even though a thousand fall at your one side and ten thousand at your right hand, it will not come near your house. That's what it means when no sickness, no disease, no illness, no ailment can ever touch your body. When you walk in the power of God, and it's available, it's achievable. Anything in that Bible is for you. It's for you to touch. It's for you to grab. I heard this, oh, TikTok preachers, I'll tell you what. I saw this TikTok preacher. Not you. Thank you. I heard this guy go, and he said something like, the Bible's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Yes, no nuts. We're very well aware that the Bible's all about Jesus. But the Bible also says, I am in Christ, and he is in me. So if the Bible is all about Jesus, the Bible is all about me. And you can be very firm in that. People want to say, the Bible is not about you. You can't just pull things out of the Bible and say it applies to your life. They are so full of crap, they wouldn't know the Holy Ghost that he fell on them in a cloven tongue of fire. They don't know jack. Don't listen to people like that. The Bible says you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Paul told Timothy, every word is breathed out by God and good for reproof, for rebuke, and for teaching. Every word of God is available for you. Yes. The whole thing is written for you. It's all about Jesus, but it's all for you. Jesus didn't need the word. He is the word. God doesn't need the Bible. You need the Bible. Unbelievers don't need the Bible. They don't read it. Most of the Christians don't need the Bible. They don't read it. The Bible's for you. The Bible's for whoever will go take the secrets out and find them in the secret place. So. Prophecy. What was the verse of the every word of the Bible is for you? Was it Stephen, 2 Timothy, chapter 3? No. 1 Timothy. Timothy 3 and 4. Yeah, verse 16. Preach the word in season and out of season. So prophecy, New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy are very different. The office of a prophet prophesies. This prophecy has to do with the word of wisdom. 
New Testament prophecy, as spoken about in 1 Corinthians 14, it says it is for the building up, the, the exhortation, the edification, and the comfort of the believer. It's basically a spiritual gift of encouragement. That's what you experience with David Wagner. Now, David Wagner moves in the office of a prophet, meaning it's more than likely God does show him things pertaining to the future. However, when he's prophesying, he doesn't give you things pertaining to the future. He simply shares the heart of God for you and encourages you, exhorts you, and comforts you in the way of God. I'll give you an example of what these, what these look like. For me, I've been praying and praying and praying and pressing into the Lord for eight, nine months now about a, a very, very personal thing in my life, something that he spoke to me about eight or nine months ago. And when he said it to me, I thought, if I tell people this, I'm going to sound insane. So I've kept it private, and it's, it's something that will probably remain private between me and the Lord for a very long time. But I had an individual come up to me. It was actually, I won't share, it doesn't matter who it is. I had an individual come up to me this past weekend, and I've never told anybody this. Comes up to me and shares this word with me. And it was every single thing that the Lord had been speaking to me about for eight or nine months that was very private, about pertaining to my future and the call of my life and just, yeah, very powerful things. And every single one of them he shared with me. And God did that because he knew that I was going crazy on the inside because I thought there's no way that God could do that in my life. I thought I was going insane. He comes up and shares this word with me, and it rocks my world. I was, you can ask Steve, I was like weeping, I was crying, it's not everywhere. It was a very deep, very intimate moment. That was encouragement and comfort for me to know that I'm on the right path. That what I'm doing is exactly what God wants me to do, and where I'm at is exactly where I need to be. Which is good. So that was huge. And then I had another guy that I'd never even spoken to before, comes up right after me and finishes it off. He's like, hey, the Lord came up and gave me this verse. It was, it was Psalm 37, 7. And uh, he said, it basically, it's about waiting on the Lord and being patient in the Lord. And I've been like praying to the Lord. When I pray, man, I get intense. I'm like, I beat the floor. I cry. I yell to God. I'm like, Lord, I, send me out. I want more. I need more souls. I need more. I need more. I need more. I love you guys. And this is great. But I want to go reach the nations. And uh, I'm like crying out to God. It's just It's been spoken over my life for so long. These these things that the Lord would do with me. And I've just been so upset. I'm like, why? Why, Lord? Why have you not sent me out? Like, why? Why, why, why? What's going on? I feel like I'm, I'm so packed full of the word. I feel like you've done such a mighty work with me. Why not? Why haven't I been promoted, basically, is what I'm thinking. And it's not like, it's not a pride thing. I'm all about being patient with God. It just wasn't adding up to me, and I needed an answer. And this dude comes right up to me, and he says, yeah, the Lord gave me this word for me. doesn't know me at all. The Lord gave me this, this word for you, and he said, uh, he reminded me of, like, the walls of Jericho. And he said, you're going around the walls, and you're getting ready to blow the trumpet. It's just not time for the walls to come down yet. But stay steadfast in the Lord. It's going to happen soon. And I'm like, it was, just, it was perfect. It was the perfect word for me. And nobody would know to come up and give me a word like that. So it was, it was a word from the Lord to come up and comfort me, exhort me, and let me know that what I'm doing is exactly what I need to be doing. So it's good. We need those types of things. But I want to tell you something right now. These things are all fine and dandy. If you don't hang out in spiritual atmospheres, you'll never receive them. There's people that will skip church. There's people that will skip things like this. There's people that will skip when a man of God comes to town that flows in the prophetic. And then they're like, I never get a prophetic word. Nobody ever lays hands on me. 
why isn't the Lord working in my life? And they just, they're just full of crap. Hunger is what I told you first. God wants one thing from you. Faith. But it's impossible to have faith unless you're hungry. Faith always coincides with hunger. That's why it says, you must draw near to God. Then he'll draw near to you. And you must believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Nobody seeks anything without expecting a reward. You don't seek marriage unless you're expecting to have children and build a life and have a great sex life and have all of these great things. Like, no, you don't seek marriage for fun. I'm not seeking to get married so that I can have a cuddle buddy. That's not my goal with marriage. Trust me. It wasn't Abraham's either. We don't seek things unless we're seeking to attain what those things bring. When you seek God, God wants you to seek what he has for you. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 2 with me. I know this is going a little bit long, but deal with it. Because I feel the Lord going somewhere. Don't worry. How are you doing, so? Very good. Staying away from here? Yeah. Don't let me lull you to sleep. Okay. If I get boring, you just tell me. I hope. <laughs> you would? If I was boring, you'd tell me? Yes. Bad boy. Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah chapter 2 is about, obviously, Nehemiah. There it is. This is very real. This is very real. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. This is Nehemiah being sent to Judah to go what? Restore the wall. If you ever hear somebody say, you never see anything in the Bible about building a wall, the entire book of Nehemiah is about putting up a wall, just so you know, to keep enemies out. So if any Christian, it's not Christian to put a wall up to stop illegal immigrants from coming into your country. Just tell them they're a moron. Tell them to sit down, shut up, and put their mask on. I love you. God loves you. But just sit down and put your mask on. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. Now, a lot of Christians will guilt trip you and say, well, you know, we don't serve God for what we can get. God doesn't care what, what you want. He just cares about impacting other people. No, God cares about what you want. God cares about the desires of your heart. Nehemiah wanted to restore the wall in Judah, and God wanted it restored. So God put his hand upon Nehemiah. Now remember this. In those days, if somebody was sad in the presence of the king, the king would kill them. I want you to get that. If you were sad in the presence of the king, you were murdered. You were not allowed to be sad in the presence of the king. Nehemiah was weeping in the presence of the king. And that was punishable unto death. And he asked Nehemiah, what troubles you, Nehemiah? And he said, you've allowed my wall of my people to be abolished. And there's nobody there to put it back together. He said, I would wish that I'd be sent to go restore it. So not only did the king give him permission to go restore the wall because the favor of God was on his life, he gave him all the material for it and all the material to build his own house while he's there. Wow. God will give you favor in every area of your life, but it's by his spirit, it's by faith, and it's by believing. It's by believing those things. I don't even know why I got onto that, but it's important. 
It's important to know that God cares about these things. God hears your heart. I heard Kay give a prophetic word to somebody the other day that was very deep. So God hears the silent prayer. There's a lot of silent prayers that we have in our life. That we run around and God knows your heart. He hears the silent prayers. He hears the not-so-silent ones. But he really hears the silent prayers. I'll share this last story with you and then, and then we'll pray. Or I'll answer questions and we'll pray. William Branham, that dude uh, uh, was telling you about struck people dead. William Branham was uh, fasting and praying one time. And when he was fasting and praying, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he shared some very personal things with him about how to walk in the power of God, that the Lord had chosen him for such a time as this, that he was supposed to carry the unbelievable power of God to a generation. And he said, but this is what you're required to tell the people. Their thoughts speak much louder than their words in heaven. And that wasn't just for those people. That's for us people. Our thoughts speak much louder than our words do in heaven. God hears thoughts. Your thoughts actually create a spiritual atmosphere about you. You remember in Proverbs, it said, As a man thinketh, so is he. As you think and as you believe in your heart, so will you be. That's where faith comes into, into fruition in your life. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. As you begin to read and understand what this word says about you and who you are now, you will walk in that power and in that authority. And as you believe that about yourself, you will walk it out and it will become your reality. Your thoughts speak much louder than your words in heaven. Now this is the first time I've ever preached on the spiritual gifts. But I think I've covered a, a pretty good amount tonight. I'll leave you with this and then I'll answer questions. Paul functioned in all the spiritual gifts. As far as we know, to the best of my knowledge, Paul's the only one in the Bible that we see that functioned in all the spiritual gifts. From what we know, according to the Bible, Jesus didn't speak in tongues or interpret tongues. Tongues hadn't been a thing yet. They were uh, given after the Holy Spirit had come. But Paul functioned in all nine spiritual gifts. Why do you need to know this? You have access to all the spiritual gifts. Not just one. You can access every spiritual gift that you want. There's no hindrance. All you need is clean hands and a pure heart. Wow. Clean hands and a pure heart. God will give you those gifts. It'll take time. Like I said, a lot of these gifts have to do with, with power. Very severe power. Very powerful power. So you have to be found trustworthy. And trust takes a long time. I want you to understand that. But here's a cool thing about trust. It's actually not very cool, but if you get this, it'll change your life. Trust takes a very long time to build and a very short time to destroy. You can build a ministry for 20, 30, 40 years and keep your nose clean of everything. And it takes one time cheating on your wife to lose everything you've spent your whole life building. Trust with God is crucial. He'll forgive you. God forgives, people don't. And that's what you need to understand about ministry. For any of you that want to get into ministry, safeguard your life. Live holy. Live holy. There's a reason he's called the Holy Spirit. He's attracted to holiness. 
the best image that the Lord has given me about flowing in the power and in the anointing and in the spiritual gifts is like I said, you're a faucet. Sin clogs your faucet. If you have sin in your life, it will limit the power of God that can flow from you. If you get rid of the clogging in your faucet, you will flow fluently with the power of God. Why? Because shame is what holds you back. The anointing doesn't flow out of character. It flows out of identity. That's why there are some people out there that can live a crappy life, but yet they flow in the power of God simply because they know their identity. I want you to get that. But live a holy life because the anointing will never take you somewhere that your character won't keep you. You might see men that flow in the power of God and they carry a crazy anointing, but they're watching pornography. They're trying to lead ministries or lead people to Jesus and they're stuck in this rut of sin. It's only a matter of time. God only gives individuals so long until they crumble. Just like Pastor Jacob said, he'll lift his hand off so that they can be humble. The Bible says, judge yourself so God doesn't have to judge you. When we judge ourselves, we don't have to come under the judgment of God. If you judge your own life, okay, Lord, I'm keeping it clean. I'm not touching my pecker for a while or ever again. Saving it for my wife. It'll disappear. The urges will go away. You'll be delivered of that. But there's things that if you can, if you can figure out in your life now, before you end up in a place of leadership, it will save you much trouble. I had to learn this the hard way because I got radically touched by the Lord, but I wasn't in a place of sanctification yet. I hadn't been sanctified all the way. I hadn't yielded completely to God. I was 21, so I was still drinking sometimes, but yet I'd be telling people about Jesus. I was still vaping, but yet I'd be telling people about Jesus. And God was pumped with me. God loved it. He's like, amen. He, I mean, he, he, had, he was patting me on the back the whole time. But people were not. The Bible says that God judges the heart. People judge the outward appearance. Wow, that's good. Men will look at your outward appearance and what it is, the fruit that you bear in your life. And that's how they'll judge you. And ultimately, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is given to man. So your ministry might depend on your ability to live a holy life. Because the grace of God will remain on you. But if you have secret sin in your life, God will give you grace, but it won't be long. It won't be long. All right, so that's our brief overview of spiritual gifts for now. I know it's getting late. If anyone has to leave, you can.